Welcome to the Drinks Chat Podcast. I'm Adam Kane. I'm Emma Lunt, a podcast where we dive into the world of beverages, explore exciting venues, and chat with the fascinating people that make the industry buzz. Okay, Emma, how are we? We are good. We made it, Adam. We made it. Um, <laughs> welcome to Drinks Chat. Uh, I guess um, so we can get an understanding of what um, who you are and what you do, maybe tell the audience what, uh, who, what do you do in the drinks industry? So I am a category wine manager for Liquid Mix, which is a family-owned and operated wholesaler here in WA. I started this role about seven years ago. And my job entails curating wine lists for venues, um, providing like a consultative and collaborative solution for the venue and supporting that with a wine training. And that is all complimentary when they were purchased through Liquid Mix. I do this with partnering multiple wine companies across Australia and here in WA, and then we work together to find the right mix for that individual venue. So pretty full on, um, but real highlight on the training aspect, I guess. Okay, so a bit about myself, um, being in the industry for over 25 years in multiple roles, roles uh, run bars, worked in bars, um, both both on the side of um, I guess uh, yeah selling and um, and marketing. My current role is my current role I should say um, is uh, with an agency called Select Brands. We look after uh, a variety of different suppliers, pr- predominantly uh, spirits and beer. Well, this podcast was solely driven by you. This was not. I listened to a heap of podcasts, but this was deaf. This was your your brainchild. Um, I think I needed a few nudges after having a baby and getting back into things. I was like, I can't physically do another thing, but it's worked out all right. Um, uh, for those of the people who are listening who don't know, Adam Kane um, and I actually worked in 100 Proof Liquid Mix um, together with the legend that is Stephen Blaine about seven years ago when we travelled all around Australia and we'd have a lot of nights talking and meeting different hospitality people and um, seeing the industry in every state as well as our own here in WA and there was just so much to talk about, so many interesting people Um, and I think we knew we wanted to work together again after Adam moved on but we weren't too sure what that would look like and the podcast Drinks Chat was born to help sort of facilitate that here in our own state first. And we uh, we hope you enjoy this journey that we're going to take. We're, we're, we're rookies at this, so hopefully you <laughs> enjoy our chats and uh, have a good time. We've got our Instagram page is Drinks Chat, so please jump on and DM us if there's anything you'd love us to cover, any topics that you want us to, to talk about, any guests you want to hear from. Uh, we will try our hardest to get them on board. Today's show is all about the art of hospitality and how important it is in a venue, be it at a bar or a hotel, basically anywhere where the service element is required that has food and drink. Um, Adam, what is hospitality to you? Uh, For me, it's about a memorable experience that a person or team delivers when you frequent their venue. It can be simple as a, a greeting, a welcoming smile. It doesn't necessarily have to be about an amazing cocktail or a well-cooked steak. Yeah. Do you? I, I completely agree. I think if a venue is not making people feel valued or appreciated, then they will just go and spend their money elsewhere. There's just so many options, especially here in Perth. Um, do you think it's something that whole hospitality vein is something you can be taught, or is it something that is just born within you? I definitely think you can learn hospitality. Uh, in essence, it's all about being polite, welcoming your guests 
or customers to um, to your venue and providing them great service and a great experience. And that's basically, they're going to come back after they get a good, good, um, good experience. What I notice here in Perth is the art of hospitality seems to have a slight gap of, it needs to be taught from someone you admire, from someone you can learn from, and those mentors are what we are crying out for here in WA for the younger kids to have and learn from. There are some old school operators here and they definitely are doing that and I would say you're one of them, Adam Kane. But um, I do think we need more of a, maybe a program or something a bit more structured to help with that because a lot of these guys are busy running their own venues or like trying to work themselves. What do you reckon? Oh, absolutely. We've got some great mentors out there. I think we need to uh, increase the the mentorship breed of uh, new mentors coming down the track. Um, but it's, um, it's it's a tough industry, but um, very re- rewarding industry. So maybe we can find some mentors out there. Um, however, today's guest we have is an amazing mentor, uh, and he's an amazing hospitality professional. We have got the fantastic Jerry Frazier with us today, and um, he will broaden your mind with his stories. Uh, he blew us away with his chat. Um, and uh, this is not just a chat about oysters. It's far more exciting and um, very in-depth. And very in-depth. Very, very, very deep. So yeah. we hope you enjoy the chat. And let's get into it. Emma, let's, uh, the show is yours. Okay, we are really excited and super grateful to have the king of oysters and all-round entertainer, Mr. Jerry Frazier, join us in the podcast studio today. Welcome, Jerry. Uh, thank you, Em. And Adam, thank you. So, thank you. for those people who haven't heard of you, can you tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what your job is here in Perth? Well, I think uh, one would call me the oyster shucker um, of WA. Uh, when I came here in uh, 27 years ago from London, not many people knew what fresh oysters were about. They ate oysters, but they were all processed, and that means that they were either washed in fresh water and packaged in these little black trays, which you see in most supermarkets nowadays. And, uh, you know, I, I asked a lot of people, I said, um, you enjoy oysters? And they said, yes, we do. And I said, where do you purchase? And supermarkets and these purveyors around Perth. And I said, do, do people actually open them in front of you? And they said, no, not really. I said, well, that's unusual because oysters are, are a live product and uh, there's a lot of uh, theatre to go with it. So that's when we started. So I started 27 years ago when I came from London where I did run oyster bars for 12 years there. And uh, I got involved with a guy called Warren Mead, who most people will know. Uh, those of my generation definitely know him. And he was a bit of a visionary when it came to restaurants. Um, he had some great restaurants, and we launched one called the Fish House in Subi, which is uh, presently the, the Vic Hotel. Uh, great venue. Became, I think, the number one seafood restaurant in Australia, not only WA. Wow. Uh, and uh, for you guys, I think you're just a little bit too young, but it was a very busy venue. And uh, we were able to... I used that as my platform uh, to, to launch... Uh, Fresh oysters, and it was uh, it was a great way to to sort of showcase my talents, which is uh, obviously opening and shucking oysters barehanded. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, what I bring to the table is more about entertainment. I think um, anyone can shuck, 
but you have to have a bit of uh, a story to go with it. And people love stories. People like to hear stories. People like to tell stories. And if you can do both, and you can still sort of manage to uh, to sell a few dozen along the along the way, it works pretty well. Yeah. So that that basically was my introduction over here. I have run oyster bars, like I said earlier, in London for 12 years. And prior to that, I was in America going to uni. And uh, I ran an oyster bar there. I helped run an oyster bar there. Uh, it was a sort of a means of uh, drinking free, eating free, getting paid illegally, and <laughs> meeting a lot of young ladies while I was there. So my last two years of uni, 80 to 82, were unbelievable. And then London came in. Uh, that was great. There was uh, five-star oyster bars there, different ball game, Savoy Hotel, Bentley's, and then Perth. And Perth was sort of my, my playground, I think I, I, like, to, I like to say it. Um, great, you know, my wife's a Perth girl, so I came to live in her country, and uh, we had two young boys. Uh, we dragged them along with us, and uh, here we are, 27 years later, still opening oysters. And where were your boys born? Both boys were born in London. Okay. So they were both born in London, so, but they're half Australian, half Scottish. I'm actually Scottish-born, uh, but I was brought up in Peru and South America, which most people don't really know. Uh, my father was in copper mining. I grew up in the Andes of Peru. Um, when I reached the age of 11, I had to go to school somewhere, uh, and they sent me to, to back to the UK. So I went to boarding school in England. And then I went to university in the States, uh, in Florida, where I, I studied my degree. I'm a geologist by trade, believe it or not. And, uh, but I ran oyster bars. And uh, I, I remember my father, <coughs> 35 to 40 years ago, said to me, you know, son, if you want to be wealthy, stick to geology, but it's a lonely profession. But if you just want to have fun and rock and roll, stick to hospitality, and I did. So that's, that's where you find me now. So 40 years of hospo, so, and loving every moment of it. So every day is different for me, Em. Uh, you know, I, I, like you all both know that I, I freelance in the business now, and I, I do seven, eight venues. Uh, I prefer it that way. Um, you must get asked all the time, why are you not opening your own place? Why are you not asked, opening your yeah, own bar? I get asked that a lot. Um, truthfully, I don't want to do seven days a week, although I have been doing it. Uh, but I don't want to see the same people every day. I don't want to be looking over my shoulder, see how the till's going. Mm -hmm. I don't want phone calls at three in the morning saying, hey, we've got a, an issue here. Can you come and fix it? <laughs> uh, I don't need that. I, I really don't. I have been asked by many. I have been approached and uh, I've declined and said, no, thanks. I'm quite happy just to rock up and uh, pick the, the venues I want to work with and the events I want to work with. So I've done a lot, as you, you both know, I've done a lot of weddings, I've done a lot of events, hospitality events, catering events. And um, now that Christmas is coming, it's uh, pretty full on, yeah. So that pretty much leads us into our, our next question. Have you seen the Perth uh, industry change over the last 10 to 15 years? Yeah, I have actually, Adam. Uh, uh, even over the last 20 years. Uh, when I arrived here, it was, it was uh, I, I could probably say it was, you know, that that keeps coming into the conversation a lot, that Perth is a very quiet town. Yeah. Um, and then in the hospitality business, coming from London was a different ball game. Yeah. London is fast lane, believe me. And uh, I enjoyed the, the quietness and the, the, the sort of gentle sort of pace we were working at in, in Perth. But yeah. I would say in the last 15 years, I think you're correct in that, is that Things are starting to pop up everywhere. The small bar scene is huge over here, which is uh, fantastic for all of us that are in hospitality. We love it. And now I think some of the old school caterers are starting to sort of make sure their venues are, are, are the strongest venues to work with. 
Uh, unfortunately, sometimes there are some of these people who are not from hospitality backgrounds and think it's quite easy to run a restaurant and purchase one, and then it closes down in six months after they realize it's not uh, not the game they wanted to be in. I still think it's one of the hardest professions to be in, and especially for young kids who work in kitchens, uh, the front of house. For me, I think the back of house is the hardest in a, in a restaurant environment because um, you're in a hot kitchen, you're in a hot environment, you're in you're dealing with a lot of uh, machinery and knives and stuff like that, and it's it's also quite heated. Mm-hmm. If you understand what I'm talking about, um, I know we've uh, got away from the old days of some of those chefs that used to throw things and and, and yell at you and and uh, I, I've been there. In my London days, were a bit like that. I have four chef uncles. Oh, you do. And so you it know. is a hundred percent. They're a different breed. <laughs> they are. I have a lot of respect for old chefs, and you know, we call them chefs because they are chefs. They're not cooks; they're chefs. And there's a there's a reason why we call them that. And um, I work with quite a few people I would call chefs here in Perth. But as you guys know, the marketplace is very scarce now, and uh, we're getting a lot of youngsters in there who are. I find it very difficult to understand how they will have the expertise of only doing four years at TAFE or cooking schools and, and manage a kitchen, let alone, you know, cook a, cook a dish. Um, it's not an easy, easy thing to do. But, um, you know, I take my hat off to a lot of them. They, they, they are trying hard. <coughs> I think the, what's kind of uh, ruined our business a little bit, if I can just say it, is uh, the, the, the FIFO thing, you know. We, we've lost a lot of good chefs <coughs> They went to up to the mines just to earn a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we all need to pay bills and things, but I find it, I, f- I personally would find it soul destroying to, to leave a family or leave your friends to go and earn some extra dollars, you know. Um, I don't understand the, the f- you know, I know Em's going to say the same <laughs> thing. She, she's dealing with it. Um, to go away for two weeks and come back for two weeks, that would be chaotic in my lifestyle. I, I certainly couldn't do it. Yeah. I take my hat off to those who can do it. and um, I think there's I, a time frame I think or a lifespan I of think time you have for to be it. quite I don't, young to do it. I don't think you could do it ongoing for a long time. No. We do it at the minute, but we've got a little boy. Yeah. Um, where it works with us is he, Phil gets two weeks of full-on daddy yeah, and absolutely. bonding. And then I get to go to work. So I think it works, but I think even that will have a a time frame. I think so. I think it's so difficult nowadays that, you know, you you come back. I I don't know if this is how how it works, but you come back from up north and it'll take you two to two days just to acclimatize, I think, back into normal routine of Perth or your lifestyle Mm. with your family or your friends. And um, I think going away again would be... For me, it would be traumatic. I don't think if I was a lot younger with two young kids, it would be, it would be very difficult to deal with. But listen, that's, um, that's a, a story for a different day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think that uh, we, uh, as old school caterers and hospitality people, we need to bring some young blood into the business, but we need to train them properly. I think um, you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And, and it's, that, it's not just in chefs going up to the mines. We see it in our shed, the warehouse boys. Mm. We've lost a lot of warehouse staff going up to work away as well. Yeah. It's across, I think, the whole industry it's happening. I think so. Um, with that, though, so there are a lot of really positive things about our industry at the minute, but there's also a lot of big challenges, and I think getting the right people and trained properly is probably number one. Yeah. Um, 
Where do you think that's going to be in 10, 15 years if we don't get that right? Especially now we have a lot of big groups coming into WA for the first time and yeah. consolidating and buying up a lot of smaller operators. I think operators. we have a lot of landlords coming in. Yeah. It's frightening that uh, these big, big, big companies are just buying properties. And, yeah. Uh, um, I know a few of my mates are working with them. Um, I just see them as landlords. I don't see them as a, as a hospitality crew. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm worried about some of my mates who are, who are either chefing or front of house uh, working for these big groups because I don't think there's a lot of training going on. Uh, I think the training is f- further on down the line with a smaller venue where the owner or the, the operations manager or the front of house uh, boss um, has had training themselves and knows how to train. Because we do have to train the trainer. We don't use that anymore. I, I haven't heard that terminology in a long time. Train the trainer. And, I, I, you know, you guys have been in restaurants. You know how it works. Um, the briefings we used to have, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was uh, mandatory to have a briefing mm-hmm. at lunchtime, briefing at nighttime to get your staff together to talk about it, to talk about the, the dish of the day maybe or what, what wine you want to sell. It doesn't seem to happen yeah. anymore. There's a lot of rushing going around. People arriving late. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my, my bare bugs as well as people not arriving on time for their shift. Yeah. You know, and they just rock up or when it's their time to go home or clock off, as they say, they want to clock off on that dot. They don't want to hang around for another 10 minutes and help out. <laughs> you know, we don't get paid for that, apparently. So that train and pace yeah. seems to be key. Across yeah. the board, I think that's just one of those things that uh, we've we've lost that. I think, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, that old school stuff again. I keep coming back mm-hmm. to that old school. I know, yep. but it it is hospitality one hundred and one. I think so. Yeah, I am hospitality one hundred and one. Is we help each other. You know, if it, it happened to me once, and I'll, I'll briefly talk about it. It's a restaurant you both know quite well, and um, there was a young guy who just started. And I just needed someone to empty the bin for me because I had a busy night. Um, and he'd clocked off, but he was there. And I just said, are you able to empty the bin for me? And he said, I'm sorry, but I, I, I've clocked off. <laughs> I said, that's perfectly all right. Yeah, you just clock off and you'll probably clock off for the rest of your career. Yeah. So that's, you know, I, I take note of those sort of things. And, uh, you know, if he'd stayed for two minutes and just helped me, I would have said, thank you. You know, I'll take mm-hmm. care of you one day. Don't worry about that. But hey, here we are. <laughs> so, uh, Jerry, so far away. Um, I guess uh, you and I have done some awesome private catering events in uh, in our time. Um, what um, can you pick out a few standouts that you've done? Oh, wow. Which you thought that was an amazing event. I mean, we've done a few. Absolutely. I've done a few with them. Yeah, uh, we've done a lot of. I've done a lot of events in, in my twenty-seven years here. I, I, there are so many, but some yeah. that do sort of. Out a little bit, which unfortunately they're not doing them anymore. It was a Cuban club. I I, I really enjoyed doing the Cuban club. Yeah. My both my sons worked with me at one of them. I uh, had a lot of fun there. I did a what's called a legacy dinner when I was at a restaurant called Lot Twenty in the old yeah. days, um, where the three distillers from uh, uh, Russell's Reserve in America were looking for a generational thing over here in Perth, and they they picked me. So myself and my sons, so we did the oysters and we did the matchings with, with the Campari crew. They did came in and did the cocktails. Yeah, great. And um, Justin West was a head chef then, and we came up with dishes, hot and cold, and with oysters. And I did a bit of a masterclass, and we gave out knives, oyster knives. 
Okay. We did four of those dinners, and it was uh, unbelievable. It was only 25 people at the table, which was perfect for me. And uh, But having my two boys there um, was a great, great thing for me. And I've yeah. done a lot of fundraising with my kids, which is even cooler, I think, you know. So we've done sort of Leukemia Foundation. I've done Lifeline with them. I've done the Heart Foundation with them. So having them with me, that, that, that for me is is the best. That's the cream of the crop, I think. Um, both boys now are sort of have moved on out of out of WA. Uh, Cal, the youngest, is in Melbourne. He's a coffee roaster, so he still keeps in touch with Hospo. Uh, Cam, my older boy, he's uh, well, believe it or not, he's a sexologist. And that he's, was one of my questions. Yeah, I thought that might be. So I guess in the wine industry, you learn about wine mm. by drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> yes. You try a lot of wine. You taste a lot of wine. Oysters, I'm sure you eat a lot of oysters. Yeah, well, we do. <laughs> How does one become a sex expert? <laughs> well, Cam, Cam was uh, a young 17-year-old when he got a scholarship to go to America to play soccer. Uh, he went over there and uh, he, he, did, um, he did a lot of courses. He was going to do uh, engineering, but he did one in psychology, which he really enjoyed. And um, he wrote a, an article uh, about drug use, uh, or with, with Jim Morrison of The Doors, and it got published, and uh, he said, wow, this is pretty cool. And then he, he, he talked to a professor over there, and he said, listen, uh, I like the psychology side of things. And he said, well, if you go to a place uh, in, in a little university in Perth, Australia, and my, my son said, well, well that's where I, I, I grew up. He said, there's a course on sexology there, which um, you may want to have a look at, do your master's there. So that's what he did. He came back, he got two degrees. He got one in psychology and one in commerce. And thought, how do I combine the two together? And this is what he's done now. So he's become one of Australia's leading men's sex coaches. Fantastic. So he, yeah. So to begin with, he was actually um, coaching young disabled men who don't go out at night, who don't go to parties, who don't go to pubs. And he would take them and he would teach them the right language to use to talk to women. Yeah. This is how it all started. Wow. And, um uh, you know, he, he, he's, when you, when you meet him, you, you have met him, but yeah. when you see him again, he's coming back in two weeks, you can have a conversation about it. And, uh, he's, he's on a different level. He's unbelievable. And he now is, uh, I think he's the, he's the vice chairman of sexologists of Australia now. And he's, uh, this is another one. He's the Australian ambassador for men's sex toys, believe it or not, Adam. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> That's another, that's another story. Get that's a Christmas <laughs> gift, yeah. Um, yeah, so Cam, Cam's married now with Eddie. Eddie's a, a beautiful singer, songwriter who used to work with me, believe it or not. And this is how they did meet uh, when I was working at a place called Five Bar, which you two have been to many times. And Eddie was singing there and... Um, that's that's how they met. They, they're they married now. We got a, oh, we got a little. Oh, I've got a grandson called yeah. Fergus, so he's two and a half, and he'll be here. They'll be here next week, so it'll be unbelievable. So we got the two boys coming. Uh, Cam, Cam, you know, has worked hospo with me, and he used to run Veggie Mama in Mount Lawley, and uh, he's uh, they're both oyster eaters, mm-hmm. and uh, they both love hospo, but they've chosen their own professions now. I guess, though, that hospitality vein has definitely crossed over, though, because even just listening to you explaining what um, he was doing with bringing people in and explaining how to socialise in that that environment, it's all linked. It's all all linked. Absolutely, it's all linked. And he he actually wants to do a podcast with me Mm -hmm. about food and sex. Mm -hmm. 
So is a relationship. Where, where, where do oysters fit into all this? Because we all, we all talk about oysters being an aphrodisiac. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's all been sort of noted, you know, yeah. in literature way back. So th- what is that, the zinc? Is it's, it a, the it's a high zinc level. Okay. Yeah, it's very high in zinc, and zinc is good for the male libido. So that's how it all comes together. Mm-hmm. And you can play out on it, you know. We, we say that Casanova used to have five dozen oysters a night. And uh, he wasn't out painting the town red, that's for sure. <laughs> so we, we, we use those little phrases there. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oysters, like, you know, I love oysters. You guys have had them with me. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it is a protein that I enjoy working with. Uh, very healthy for you if they're fresh. Yeah. Um, I get a bit uh, vocal about cooked oysters, as you both know. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan. Uh, I just believe that this beautiful bivalve is is cultivated in, in the ocean it's harvested and it should be on your plate you know within the day or two of arrival and eaten fresh you know i'm uh, with you you guys have been with me many times eating oysters and it's usually just maybe some lemon wedge a little vinaigrette if you want mm-hmm. <coughs> you know i do put a lot of sauces out because uh, people do request so um but still fresh. Still fresh. That is it. Absolutely. Um, I know in our, both Adam and I's industry, we've had lots of conversations around the whole sustainability piece within winemakers and distillers mm. um, in terms just also of like climate change, but also cost, accessibility, the whole the whole supply chain. Yeah. Um, do you have those kind of same talks with oyster yeah, farmers? No, we do. We do. And the thing is, in the last 10 years, I think, uh, Em, we've seen changes obviously with, uh, with freight, because uh, we fly, well, I work with a company that f- fins seafood who fly their product in. And over the last definitely five years, things have changed uh, immensely. So the prices have gone up. Um, the farm price went up a little bit, not too bad. Uh, we, you know, we were still able to buy oysters uh, at quite a, quite a reasonable price from the farmers over east and down south. And... Um, I was quite surprised over the sort of 15 years that I'd been running oyster bars that the prices weren't changing too much, which was great. But then things happened with, uh, with uh, I think it was Anset went down. Uh, we'd lost them. So Qantas were the only one sort of flying it in. Then Virgin came in. But the prices of freight went up. Yeah. And um, you now have to bring in a certain quantity to make it feasible. Okay. So if, uh, if a farm says to you you know you've got to bring in 500 dozen oysters um that's quite a few oysters that they have to move mm-hmm. you know the the purveyor and if you want to use three or four different farms and they're all saying you've got to bring in 500 dozen that's 2,000 dozen you've got to move in two to three days now they can do it <coughs> at the moment they're doing it they're doing quite well but the price has gone up and you'll notice when you come and see me uh, i think this week or next week that prices have gone up a little bit. Um, the, we've got the two species that we use here in, in, in WA. We've got the rock oysters and we've got the Pacific. So I've got all four oysters coming on the menu very soon. So you'll be very lucky to, to so try all four. Will you see then maybe a reduction of them, the different types of oysters maybe yeah, that people will get access to I, for that reason? I think so because it's very difficult for a restaurant to have two or three or four different oysters on the menu, mm. only because we can't get a hold of them. Um, oysters are seasonal anyway, so that's one thing we have to look at. There's a winter oyster and there's a summer oyster. So um, I'm, we're lucky in this country that we can sort of go across the, the seasonality parts of it and uh, get all four at once. Uh, it's about to happen now. 
So this week we start with four oysters. So we're going to be very lucky. Uh, rock oysters have a short season, especially down south in Albany. And what about then, like, so for in terms of wine, we're seeing a lot of people plant a lot more Mediterranean-style varietals to be able to withstand heat, climate change, all of that stuff. So we're seeing a lot more of that come through the market mm. and being subtly pushed on people. Absolutely. Now becoming a trend. What about with oysters? Is there a sustainability pace or is there, is it not really, is it more it's, just yeah, it's logistics? Not, it's not that that prevalent okay. um, with, 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 uh, with oysters. Um, we work with companies that um, are, you know, that do take sustainability very seriously, especially the ones I work with here in WA. Yeah. Uh, and I know over east there, they're, they're onto it big time, big programs about harvesting and uh, about making sure that the, because they're filter feeders, we have to be very careful with, with temperature. So temperatures of the waters have been changing. We know that. Mm-hmm. We talk about it all the time. And unfortunately, the weather patterns change because we've had a lot of storms and we've had a lot of damage come to the oyster farms themselves. So it's not only the beds that get damaged, it's uh, internal structures get damaged. Yeah. So leases get damaged. Uh, you know, if you've got uh, your punts are sitting out there waiting to go out, they get smashed around. So it's not only just that one factor. So the, the, the oyster farmer himself, who most people probably don't understand what the situation is with, a, with this type of farming. It's, they're out at 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning out in the waters in any weather at all. And uh, if it gets a bit stormy, there's no, there's no oysters. If it gets too warm, there's no oysters. Wow. Uh, we, get a, we get a bacteria, we get a vibrio that comes out. We've had it before in, in Coffin Bay. So they closed Coffin Bay down two years ago because the temperatures were too high and it's a bacteria that affects us. So this is, you, you can't tell by looking at it. And uh, when someone starts eating oysters or there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, a display of sort of gastro or something like that in a, in, in a city, you know, because they've had shellfish. Yeah. Oysters always get the blame. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, it could have been a mussel. It could have been <coughs> some other sort of shellfish. But it all, always comes back to oysters. Mm-hmm. It just seems to be that way. We change tack a little bit. If yes. um, if someone wanted to um, become an oyster shucker, Ooh. what do they need oh. to do? And um, <laughs> is what, it what's well, the, Adam, what is the career path they need to take? Adam, 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 that's the question <laughs> I've been asking many times, and every, I get asked all the time, Jerry, where are the new breed of shuckers coming from? There, are, there isn't none. There's about four of us in WA that can do it. Yep. Uh, I do master classes. I try and teach the youngsters. Um, to come into the profession is pretty much what it is. Uh, it's a fun profession. It's 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 more interactive. It's sort of I'm front of house and back of house together. Yep. So I'm dealing with a with a with a food item, but I'm pretty much in everyone's face in the front of house. I'm a salesman. Pretty yep. much is what I do. Yep. And you've got to understand. Uh, I don't want to bag the the younger generation now, mm-hmm. but now this is a, this is what has been happening lately. They'll want to work weekends. So no Friday, Saturday, Sundays, please, Jerry. Um, I'd like to get paid maybe 50 bucks an hour. Okay, fair enough. I can't work more than six hours, okay, because I've got to have a break. <laughs> so I know, so you, you, you know where I'm coming from. So I don't want to go back to the old school thing again where we all worked 16 hours a day. We didn't yeah. care. Yeah. We just did it. We don't break for lunches. We don't, we don't do that. And uh, we get stuck into it. 
it is a profession, but unfortunately, I'm struggling trying to get some some folk involved. There's a couple of people wanting to do it now, which I'm slowly going to do it after Christmas. We're going to get people involved. Uh, I'd like to see more youngsters get involved, more maybe chefs. Unfortunately, with chefs, they, 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 they weave the magic in the kitchen. They're great, but they don't like coming out talking to the public. Yeah. And you guys have seen how yeah. I operate. I think it, you have to engage in conversation if you're going to run an oyster bar. You have to be out there so people can talk to you and, and you can explain what's going on. Uh, I think that's part of the fun, personally. They need to feel part of it. Well, I think they should be, you know, and you've got to have a bit of uh, knowledge about the product and uh, history and talk about, you know, what oysters are on the menu today. And, and, uh, and like you guys have asked the questions, you know, hey, is it seasonality, regionality? Let's talk about it. What wines go with oysters? Yep. Even though I'm a non-drinker, I used to drink, believe me, um, but I haven't for a long time. But it's one of those things. It's a little marriage, you know. You, you, you guys have the, the terroir. Oysters, we have the merroir. So terroir and merroir, they work together. And, you, and, and every restaurant I've worked in, I've worked with you both before, we've, we've married either a wine or a champagne or a sparkling, even a beer. I've done whiskey tastings. I've done sake. I've done tequila. I've done vodka. I've done gin. You know, even though I don't drink them, but I talk to you people like yourselves, and, and yeah. you tell me, yeah, Jerry, I think that might work. And this is what we do. And we have fun doing it. And that's the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's about having fun. Um, you know, I've been having fun for 40 years. Let's not, <laughs> let's not stop. But you're right. I mean, uh, you guys are in the, the drink industry, so you actually know uh, or you want to find out if it matches, you know. You've got a new wine coming out, like Em said, we've got all these new Mediterranean-style wines coming in and uh, new grape varieties. Um, I know nothing about them, but I'd like to hear about them. Mm-hmm. And then I can maybe pass on that info to other people who say, Jerry, have yeah. you heard of this? I said, yeah, yeah, my friend Adam and my friend Emma have spoken to me about it. They say it goes well, let's go with it. But, you know, we've talked about that before with sort of an oyster with something that's a bit more acid. Mm-hmm. Um, sparkles always goes well with oysters. That, that's the marriage. So we, we talk about... Sparkling and Riesling. Well, I think those are the two. I mean, I worked in London with the French vinos, you know. We, we do the, the Muscadets and the Chablis and all mm-hmm. that. They're yeah. great wines to go with oysters, believe me. And you guys here in Australia have some great, great stuff, so... Um, I love going to different parts of Australia where people say, yeah, Jerry, I think that's going to work well. I say, well, you guys, I'll shuck the oysters. You do the tastings and you tell me. And I get great yeah. joy out of that, watching people enjoy not only the oyster, but the, the marriage, yeah? The flavors. I think so. Yeah, yeah there's a lot, lot going on there. Um, both Adam and I are pretty health conscious. We're both in the booze industry, mm. so we have to make sure that we have a real good balance of working hard and playing hard and staying healthy. <laughs> um, and it all has to work. And it used to be a kind of an 80-20 rule. Now mm-hmm. we're both over 40. It's more a 90-10 rule. I'm I not going to lie. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, now, you mentioned you don't drink anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's a really key point to pick upon because you don't need to drink to be in hospitality. No, absolutely not. Um, and people are becoming a lot more health conscious. There's so much, I see in our shed all the time, the amount of non-alk options for people across wine spirits beer Mm. and it is definitely taken off more so when beer have really nailed it Mm -hmm. wine is getting there cocktails is doing really really well Mm. um was there a moment that made that decision for you yeah absolutely it was a big moment uh her name's fiona (laughs) (laughs) it was a big moment uh 
I was, we got married 33 years ago uh, in London. Um, I was running Western Bars at the time. Fiona was in Hospo. I was uh, pretty much a party animal. And I, you know, I grew up in South America, you know, university in Florida. It was in the late 70s. It was pretty full on for me. So I did drink for 20 years. And I grew up drinking Pisco. And you all know what Pisco's like. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty full on drink. And uh, I, got a, I got the liking for Jack Daniels when I was at uh, uni. So eating oysters, drinking Jack, listening oh. to Jimmy Buffett, great life, yeah? It was the fantastic, best. you know? But it has its down things, you know? So I, I was, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not going to say I'm not, but I am. Uh, and uh, the first year of marriage was a little bit up and down. And Fiona, Fiona made a decision. She said, yeah, listen, I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pack my bags. I'm going to go back to Australia. And uh, that was a decision. It was on Boxing Day 31 years ago. So it's coming up real soon. Wow. And uh, that, was a, that was a decision I had to go and make myself. So I was in London, Boxing Day, uh, just before lunch. Her and her sister were sitting there and they packed their bags. They were going to both come back to Australia. And I went out for a walk. Now, a bit of history there, that Christmas Day dinner that we had at my house with all my cousins and a lot of people. I was doing the catering, but I, I drank too much. I drank three bottles of Jack, and uh, wow. I was pretty full on. Wow. I don't remember much, but Fiona yeah. does, and uh, I got out of hand. And the next day, I, I walked. I went for a walk, and the first thing you find in <laughs> on Boxing Day, nothing's open, as you know, in London, yeah. and the only thing that is open is the pub. <laughs> so I found myself standing outside the George... Um, in South Woodford where I lived stood there for half an hour just looking at the sign and people going in for their lunch and their drinks that's what they usually do and saying Jerry you coming in I said yeah I'll be there in a minute and then one of my mates spotted me uh, he was at the house the night before at my house uh, his name is Eddie and he said Jerry what are you doing I said well I'm just not sure I'm at a crossroads right now he said well listen come to my house I'm going to make you lunch and we'll have a conversation. So that's what happened. So we spent five hours talking. And uh, I left there with, I think, the, as they say, the, the light bulb switch had gone on. And that was a, a moment that I'll always remember. And uh, I went back and I just said to Fee, I said, dear, uh, I'm finished now. This is it. And uh, the next day I made plans to go see a GP, my GP, and uh, go to counseling one-on-one. I didn't want to do the, the group thing, and I didn't want to do group therapy. It wasn't for me. I said, one-on-one, and we can chat, and uh, I felt more comfortable there. And the, the next biggest party after Boxing Day is what? It's New Year's Eve. Hello. And I was the only one sober at that party, I'll tell you that. And it was a big, a lot of Aussies, and it was a, a couple of rugby teams there, and they were knocking it back. And I was the only one with actually Fiona's best friend, Sarah. She sat in the kitchen with me not drinking, making sure I didn't. Fiona did. Oh, yeah, she partied hard. <laughs> but that's a great story. But that's, that's what happened. And that's the beginning. That was my beginning. And then uh, you know, I gave up smoking. Uh, I didn't do drugs anymore. And I gave up drinking. So that was a big moment in my life. And Fee gave up smoking for New Year's resolution. Two weeks later, she falls pregnant with my eldest boy, our eldest boy, Cam. So it was a sign, I think. So she didn't drink for eight months because yeah. of, of pregnancy. And uh, Good timing. Good timing, yeah. And Cameron came along and then 
We came out here for a visit, went back to London. I said, I don't want to live in London anymore. I don't want my boys to grow up here. I want them to grow up in, in Perth. That's an amazing story, and I really, really appreciate yes. you sharing that. Oh, yeah, that's that's fine. I, I don't mind talking about it. Uh, I talked to quite a few people, young hospos, mm. who have got drinking problems. They, they know I don't drink and always ask me, how, how do you do it? And I said, well, there's only one way to do it, is you look at yourself in the mirror. Yep. You don't listen to other people. So your family, your loved ones will be the first ones to tell you you have an issue, but you don't want to hear it from them. And you push them away. Sadly, you do. It's just one of those things. I don't know. I did it. I did it to my family. I pushed them away. I didn't want them to keep talking to me about it. I didn't think I had an issue, but I certainly did. But that one moment, like I told you, when I just stood out there at the George pub and just looked up and said, yeah. I've got to do something about this. I would have lost Fiona. I would have. I would never had the life. No. I probably wouldn't have reached the age of forty, truthfully. Um, and London's not exactly. <laughs> I mean, you both have been there, especially back then. It's that back time then. Frame. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a great place to work, but it's a dangerous place to work. Mm. It's a lonely city, and if you don't have a lot of friends, uh, the pub is your friend. Absolutely. And there's a lot of pubs. So nowadays you're, um, you've got a different drink of choice and what's your... I do. Well, you know, you guys have seen me out and about. I love going out and about. You know I love my coffees because you've all both had coffees with me. Um, got a little bit tired of just having your usual lemon-lime bitters and your ginger beers. And I got approached by, by a young lady called Ronnie, Ronnie Barrett, and she works for Ovant. And Ovant is like a distilled botanicals from Margaret River. She said, I want to make you a little cocktail. And I said, okay, let's do it. And she did. And I thought, wow, this is great stuff. So we, and, and she added different uh, sort of tonics and uh, sodas and played around with it and lime and lemon and some syrups. And I thought, well, this is the way I want to go. I, I want to try these. So uh, Ronnie has collaborated with, uh, with Ash Dower from Long Race. And uh, I believe they're going to do a few little things in the new year. And uh, I can tell you, probably tell you this, but Ronnie and, and the, the boys who own Ovant have, have created a cocktail for Jerry Fraser, apparently. Fantastic. So I will obviously be part of it for launching it. I think it's going to be the second week of uh, January. Um, and I've got three bottles of Ovant in the house, so I'm going to take it for Christmas Day. And I'm going to play around with a few things. And we're going to have oysters with it. I'd like to make a couple of vinaigrettes using some of that Ovant. I don't know how yet, but, you know, finger lime comes in, yuzu comes in. All these things come in. Yeah. And I think we can play around with it and see how it works. He's your guy. So we've got a, we've got a drinks chat exclusive here. Yeah. Well, there we go. I yeah, love it. Go. That's great. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> Adam, we're having a conversation, yeah. definitely. So, I'll, you know, I'll bring the oysters along and we just sit around. And I, want to, I want to learn more about how the botanicals can work. And uh, with Ronnie, when she, she poured out three or four or five cocktails, I think, different ones for me to try, and I th all of them were fantastic. And that's what I would prefer if I went to a pub. Yeah. I, I, do, I still go to pubs, but I, I order the usual lemon-lime bitters, which is, hey, it's a little bit boring, mm. you know. But if I was able to order a cocktail like that, and I know now she's into a lot of the restaurants and and uh, it, it is national now, apparently, so it's pretty big. I hope the cocktail goes national. Well, so do I. I think it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, just for the uh, audience, it's a non-alcoholic cocktail. Yeah, yes. absolutely. This is a non-alcoholic cocktail. <laughs> and it, I guess if you wanted to make uh, it an alcoholic cocktail, you just add 100%. whatever you want. You know, and not a problem. Yeah, I can, I can vouch for it. 
So, Jerry, just a few last-minute quick questions. Fire away, Em. Who is the most famous person you've ever shucked oysters for? Wow. I've been asked that many times, Emma. Um, when I r- was working at an oyster bar in London uh, called Green's Champagne Oyster Bar, very famous, um, the well, he's now the king. <laughs> so oh. it was Prince Charles and Princess Di. Uh, they were probably the most famous. The most wildest guy I ever shucked oysters was Oliver Reed, cool. film actor. Yep. And he was with the Rolling Stones at the time. Uh, unbelievable. Probably the nicest guy I ever shucked oysters was at a rest- well, it was at an oyster bar called Bentley's in the West End of London where I worked for many years there. It was a guy called John Hurt, a film actor. John Hurt, who, who did, I don't know if you guys are too young, I think, did The Elephant Man and did Midnight Express. Very, very, very famous actor. Um, but I've, I've, listen, at the end of the day, uh, everyone's, everyone's VIP for me. I don't care if he's a famous actor or a famous politician or whatever. I just want people to have oysters, have fun eating them. You guys have been sitting with me for the last 20 years eating oysters with me, and uh, we just have fun. You know, I'm, I'm, I get out there. I love going to the tables. I love sitting down with you. Um, you know, I've done events with, with Adam. We, we do a lot of shouting and we, 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 we <laughs> shells go flying and drinks go flying. We love it. That's what it's all about. It's about entertainment at the end of the day. You know, if you want to go and just have a quiet meal, then go, go to a fine dining restaurant and uh, sit there for three hours and not talk. But if you want to go rock and roll, come and see me, I think. Jerry, thank you so, so yeah, much. Thanks very much. Thank hey, guys. It's a great chat. Yeah. You have been probably what we would say the epitome of hospitality would be. Thank so you. Well, I appreciate I'll, it thank so you. much. I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, I love working with fellow hospos and, uh, you know, we've still got a few decades to go, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Right, cheers, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. No